You know, you never know what's going to happen with just one invitation. <clears throat> I, I'm doing a lot of weddings here recently. And every time I do a wedding, part of the ceremony, I tell the story about how the couple got together. And this one, one last weddings I just did, uh, it's a little interesting story. This girl would just shown up at the university. She didn't know anybody. And she got an invitation to go on a blind date to a party with this guy she didn't know. And so they were kind of going as a group. So she decided to go ahead and go. And while she was at the party, she actually met a guy that she kind of liked Turns out that guy was her blind date's roommate, okay, you know, so a little awkward, you know, like she's kind of, so she ends up kind of going on and, and developing a relationship with this other guy, and then that's who she's marrying, that's not the blind date guy, just her, and so I, I just note to self, watch out for your roommates, oh, that's all I got to say, that's, that's the moral of that story, watch out for the roommate, they can kind of get on in there, anyway, uh, but we've often talked about, man, if she had not taken that one invitation, she may have never met her husband, never gotten married. So, so wow, you know, one invitation can make a huge difference. Well, the, that is true in your relationship with God. Did you know that Jesus never pushes you into a relationship with him? He always invites you. And in fact, there are four great invitations in the Bible that Jesus makes for us. Four invitations that move us to deeper walks with him. And so today is the first day we're doing a four-part series on these four great invitations. Today we're looking at the first invitation that Jesus gives. So I want you to get your Bible out. Everybody get your Bible out. Open it up on your device, however you get a hold of God's Word, and open it to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. While you're turning there, let me just kind of set the context. This is early, this is right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. For 30 years, he's been operating in pretty much obscurity. Now he is coming public. He is now beginning his public ministry. And what you're going to read here is how everything began, how the Christian movement began. Right? How did the church giving get started? That's how we're, what we're going to find out today in this chapter. Now, you're going to meet seven people in this storyline. So let me just go ahead and tell you who you're going to meet. One guy is named John the Baptist. Very important uh, fellow we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, a man named Andrew and his brother Peter. A man named Philip and his friend Nathaniel. And then a unnamed disciple who we believe is actually John, the one who's writing the gospel of John. He will be in the story. And then, of course, there's Jesus who is interacting with all of these people. Okay? So that's what you're going to read. But here's the main thing I don't want you to miss. Every person's relationship with Jesus starts with responding to an invitation. Every person's relationship with God begins with responding to an invitation. Now, for some of you, you have, you're going to hear this first invitation. You're going to remember what it was like when you were right there and how you responded to the invitation of Jesus. And, and, and I want you to remember that. But I also want you to lean in because you're going to learn some things that are new today that you may not have learned before. But for some of you, you're still curious. You don't really understand what this whole Christianity thing is about. You're not really sure what the Bible is about or even what Jesus is about. Well, you're right where you need to be. You're, you're right in the right spot because you are ready to take and respond to this first invitation of Jesus. What an exciting thing to respond to this very first invitation. So what is it? Well, let's read it together. John chapter 1 
We're going to begin at verse 35 and read all the way to verse 51, all right? So everybody, their eyes on a copy of God's Word. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. Everybody, open Bible, uh, reading God's Word. Here we go. This is the Word of God. Amen? Amen? The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by, and he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed him following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him and his first, he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And he found Philip and told him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Nathanael asked him, well, come and see, Philip answered. When Jesus, then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? Well, you will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, this is how everything got started right here in this passage. And this is the first invitation of Jesus. We see it. I want you to underline this, circle it in your Bible, verse 39, and then we see it again in verse 46, the phrase, come and see, come and see. Right? This is the first invitation of Jesus. Every relationship starts with, with Jesus saying, come and see, and us responding to that invitation. And this is really important, especially today. And you say, well, why, why especially today? Because there are many people today that will say this. You may have heard people say this. You know, I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. You ever heard that? Uh, and, and many of you are like, what does that even mean? You know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. What does that even mean? What it means is this. They're saying, I'm not religious. In other words, I'm not into rules and regulations and kind of this cold, stale religion. I, I'm not into that. All right? I've seen that. I don't want that. So they've rejected that kind of religion. But they say, you know, I'm not into just rationalism either. I'm not just a naturalist either because I believe that there's more to life than just what we can see and taste and feel with our own senses. There's got to be something transcendent. There's got to be something beyond ourselves. So that's the spiritual part. But here's what I want you to see. When Jesus says, come and see, he's not inviting you back into just wooden religion. 
Nor is he inviting you into to just cold rationalism. He's inviting you to something completely different. Something, he's really inviting you into a very real, very genuine, very authentic, very life-changing relationship with him. That's the difference. I remember one time somebody said, well, you know, if you were going to sum up the distinctive of Christianity, what is it? I said, well, that's easy. It's Christ, right? You can't spell Christianity without first spelling Christ. It's all about Jesus. And that's why I love to sing that song. It's all about you. That's what this passage is about. It's all about Jesus. You knowing Jesus. You following Jesus. You letting Jesus change your life and lead your life. Fulfilling the purpose Jesus has for you. That's what it's all about. And come and see is coming and figuring that out. Now, how do you come and see today? What does that mean for me today to come and see? I'm going to give you four things I want you to write down. And these four things are how you come and see today. All right? Here's the first thing. Jot this down. Come and see means come and explore the facts. Come and explore the facts. And this is really where the story begins. John the Baptist is a preacher. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament preacher that pointed out Jesus as the Messiah. And look at what he says. This is, this is his sermon, all right? Pretty short, verse 36. Look, the Lamb of God. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Lamb of God? What does that even mean? Lamb of God. But it's very important. And those words are really heavy with meaning and significance. For you to understand the term Lamb of God, you really need to understand the backdrop, backdrop of Judaism in which he spoke these words. The Jewish people for generation after generation since all the way from the beginning of them as a nation celebrated one holy day and that is called the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, all the nation would gather together. The high priest would be up on a high platform and he would put his hands on a lamb. And there he would, uh, in a sense, transfer the sins of the people, the rebellion of the people, onto this sacrificial lamb. And then that lamb was slaughtered and offered as a sacrifice in payment for their sin. Now, imagine you're a dad and you've got kids around you and you're all watching this happen. I can, I can just imagine the conversations afterwards. Daddy, what's he doing up there? Daddy, why is he putting his hands on that animal? Daddy, why does that animal have to die? Well, honey, it's because all of our sin, our rebellion against God was placed on this animal and it died in our place. Now, this happened year after year after year after year. Day of Atonement is still celebrated, though they do not offer sacrifice, still celebrated the end of September every year. And so there began this, this promise running through the prophets that said one day there's going to become a special one, what they called an anointed one, one set apart that would once and for all deal with our sin. We don't just want to keep doing this year after year after year after year. Finally, there's one that's going to come that's going to wipe out our sin once and for all. And they had a name for this person. This person would be called the Messiah which means anointed one in Hebrew. If you translate that into Greek, the word is Christ. So the Messiah, the Christ, the two, two terms that mean the same thing, the anointed one. Now, when somebody uses the term Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. 
okay? Christ is his designation. It is his title. He is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the one that was promised to come. The one who would come as the saving king of Israel. So, with that backdrop, now here's John the Baptist. He's preaching repentance. Get ready, get ready. People are being baptized, repenting of their sin. There's this national awakening that something is happening. God is at work, and he's saying the Messiah is coming. The Holy One is coming. The Anointed One we've all been looking for is coming. And people had this heightened sense of anticipation that the Messiah could be among them even now. And so here is John the Baptist, and then he points and says, Look, the Lamb of God. That is big time significant. All the ones, the, the, all the years that we've longed for and waited for him, here he is now. Look, the Lamb of God. And when he said those words, there were two disciples that were attached to John the Baptist that decided to now follow Jesus. All right, two of them. And uh, they trail after Jesus. Jesus notices them following him and he turns around and these are the first recorded words of Jesus in the gospel of John. He says, what are you looking for? Or what do you want? I don't think it's like grumpy Jesus, what do you want? You know, I don't think it's like that. I think it's like, hey, you know, what do you want? And then they're like, well, man, I mean, he just said, Lamb of God, it wanted to you. And man, we got, we got so many questions here. We, where are you staying? Let's hang out together. And Jesus gives that first invitation. I love it. Come and see. Come and see. Come check this out. And John tells us it's about four in the afternoon. So if that's the case, now I'm, this is not, this is Craig's, Craig's envisioning of this event. But if it's four in the afternoon and they've got a lot of conversation to get through, it probably went well on into the night. I tell you what, some of my favorite conversations have happened over an open fire. I love a fire pit. I could do fire pit every night, even at 110. I could still do a fire pit, all right? I just love it. And there's something about hearts opening up around that. So that's what's happening. They're around the fire. They're sharing a meal together. And they're just asking Jesus all these questions. Tell us, what about the, the Messiah? And, and he's from what tribe again? And when is he born? And who are his parents? And how will we know him? And, 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 they're, and he's answering every question with scripture. Jesus had this way of going back to the Old Testament, showing them the prophecy, and then showing how it perfectly aligns with his life. This was Jesus's MO. This is how he dealt with people. If you uh, fast forward all the way to the end, when after Jesus' death, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to two men walking on a road to Emmaus. And if you remember that story, they don't really recognize that it's him. And it says there about Jesus in Luke 24, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Man, would you love to be a part of that Bible study? Man, Jesus leading and said, all right, this is about me. This is about me. This is about me. He's covering a lot of ground, but he's showing how his life aligns with the prophecies of this Messiah to come. He did the same thing with Philip because when Philip goes and talks to Nathaniel, he says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus of Joseph from Nazareth. In other words, they were aligning. So here's what I want you to understand. From the very beginning, these guys, um, they were doing their investigation. They were exploring the facts about Jesus. 
They were looking at the prophecies and aligning them to the life of Christ. And they did that in such a way to come to the conclusion themselves that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. Now, this is the first step of coming and seeing. Come and see means come and look at the facts. Come do your own homework. Come investigate Jesus for yourself. Many of you remember when we had a couple years ago, uh, Jay Warner Wallace here. Jay Warner Wallace is a LA cold case detective who was not a follower of Jesus for most of his life. And he finally went to church one Sunday with his wife, not because he was uh, interested really, but because he wanted to support her spiritual journey. And the pastor made a comment that Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived and kind of piqued his interest. So he said, I went and bought a Bible. And he said, I started reading the gospels. And he said, I noticed that the gospels were written like eyewitness accounts. Now, again, he's a cold case detective. He's used to seeing written statements from people that are already dead and looking at, at, at evidence, you know, where people, you know, are, that this has happened in the past. And so he said, I started using my skills as a cold case detective to a and applying them to the Gospels. He said, there are five tests that you use to corroborate a witness to see if they're credible. I used those same five uh, tests and I applied it to the Gospel writers and I found them to be credible. He said, I'm used to looking at chain of evidence and making sure it's not corrupted. I applied those same tools and that same scrutiny to the chain of evidence of the Gospels and, and how accurate these are. And he said, the more I dug into it, the more I studied, the more I followed the evidence, the more I became convinced that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. He said, I didn't come to Christ because of emotion. I came to Christ because of the evidence. Because of the evidence. So here's the question. Have you done your research? <laughs> Do you know? I mean, some people go, I'm not really into that. I'm not really, th I don't think that much about Jesus. Well, hold on a minute. Have you even investigated the claims of Christ? Have you done your research? That's, that's what come and see means first. It means come and explore the facts about Jesus. And listen, at this church, we will never tell you to stop asking questions. At this church, we're never going to tell you to just, just put all your questions aside and turn your brain off. No, no, I want it engaged. Jesus can handle it. The scriptures can handle it. Ask your questions, dive into it with all your heart and see where the evidence leads you. Come and see means come and explore the facts. Number two, come and see means come and encounter a person come and encounter a person. When a rabbi would, would go to a, a disciple and say, follow me, or invite him to in a relationship, it was, all, it was very relational. It was like, come and be with me, come and hang out with me, come and spend time with me, come and learn from me, and then you're gonna take over where I left off. It was highly relational training. And that's what Jesus is doing here. When he said, come and see, come hang out, let's get around the campfire, he's basically saying, come and open up your heart to me and open up your life to me. And that's what these guys did. I mean, if you just could continue reading the story, they're, they're following Jesus. They're spending a lot of time on the road talking with him. They're hanging out at the campfire. They're eating together. They're ministering together. They're bringing to Jesus their questions. They're bringing to Jesus their fears. They're bringing to Jesus their concerns, their doubts, their struggles. And this one thing I love about the Gospels is they don't hide all this that the disciples are going through. They're very open about their doubts and their struggles and their concerns and their fears. But they open up their heart to Jesus. And they began to learn what he was all about. Jesus still invites you and me to 
to open up our heart to him. Now listen, you will never really come to know Jesus in a deep and personal, real way if you always hold him at arm's length. You just won't. You don't know anybody if you hold him at arm's length, right? I mean, if we're talking about relationship here, you can't be in a deep relationship with anybody that you stiff arm all the time. You have to open up your heart and your life to him. Now you say, well, how do I do that? How do I open up my heart to Jesus when I can't even see him? When, when he's not here physically, how do I do that? That's a really great question. So go back to the bride that I talked about earlier. She meets this handsome guy at this party. It's not her date, all right, somebody else. Now, she, I'm sure, did a little bit of research. What's his name again? She may have kind of creeped on his social media, you know, or, or checked him out. Well, what classification is he? What's his major? How long is he? Does he have a date? You know, uh, is he dating anybody? He, she could do all the research. She could know all about him. But she will never know him until she agrees to open up her heart, have a conversation with him, share with him her heart, her life, and, and, and draw close to him right? The same is true in your relationship with Jesus. You can know all about the facts. You can examine the facts. You can, uh, you can do all your research online. You can do all these. You can know about Jesus up here, but until you open up your heart to him and say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you, you will never draw close to him. It's as simple as that. Saying, Lord, I want to know you. If you're real, show yourself to me. If you're real, I want to see you. Reveal yourself to me in your word. Reveal yourself to me just however you want to do it. (laughs) But I'm open. I'm open to hearing you. I want to know you. There's a great promise in the Bible that I want to share with you. It's found in Jeremiah 29 uh, or or John chapter 6. It says, uh, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Don't you love that? If you come to Jesus, really seeking him, really wanting to know him, he said, I will never push you away. You come seeking me, you'll find me. You come to me and I will never, never cast you aside. So how do you come and see? Well, you come explore the facts. You come and see by coming and encountering a person, opening up your heart and life to him, even your doubts and your questions. Be honest, take them to the Lord and ask him to answer those for you. Here's a third thing I want you to write down. Come and see means come and envision your purpose. Come and envision your purpose. So here is Andrew, he and this other disciple. Remember, they follow Jesus. He asks them, what do you want? They hang out with him. That other disciple was most likely John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John. And then there's Andrew. And Andrew is just so excited, man. And they're just around the campfire. Jesus unfolding promise after promise, uh, prophecy after prophecy. And he's aligning perfectly and his mind is blown. He's like, oh man, my brother's got to hear this. And so Andrew leaves the campfire to go get his brother, whose name was Simon. All right? 
Now, by the way, this is a great uh, lesson for us, man. When you, if your life's really been changed by Jesus, if he's really made a difference in your life, that, then you can't help but want to tell somebody about the difference Jesus has made in your life. For some of you, you have a life-changing story, and, and you've got to share it. A true follower of Jesus is never content to go to heaven alone, okay? And so here is Andrew, he's going to get his brother, and he brings Simon to Jesus. Simon meet Jesus, Jesus meets Simon, and Jesus immediately takes the initiative and really makes a pretty big impact. Look at what he says here. He said, verse 42, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. He said, you know, you are Simon, son of John. That's who you've always been. That's your past. That's your legacy. That's your heritage. That's your past. But I've got a different future for you. I'm going to change your name. <laughs> you, you're going to now be called Cephas. That's the Hebrew version. The Greek translation of that is Peter, which means rock. You're going to be a rock. Peter, when I look at you, you know what I see? I see a rock. And Peter was a rock in many, many ways. So think about Peter. He's the one that preached at Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved. Peter's the one that uttered that great confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock of your confession, I will build my church. In Ephesians 2.20, Peter is, called, is one of the apostles who became the foundation piece of the church. I mean, this is Peter. Peter was kind of a knucklehead many times. You know, Peter was just a fisherman, but he was a rock for Jesus Christ. Peter went on to author two books of the Bible and probably most likely as a source between the gospel of Mark. Peter had a tremendous influence as a leader in the early church. And Jesus could see that. Peter couldn't see it. Peter just thought, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just a dude, you know, I'm just, just seeking things out. No, no, no. I have a future that you cannot see. Same thing happened with Nathaniel. I hear Philip, you know, goes against Nathaniel, says, just come and see. And so they, he meets uh, Jesus and same kind of thing. Jesus looks at him and like he knows him already. He goes, now there's a guy that'll tell it straight. There's a guy that doesn't, that calls a fake a fake whenever he sees it. Here's a guy that's a real deal. He's like, well, how do you know me? And he goes, you know what? I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Now, I don't, we don't know what that's really all about. Maybe this was his private fig tree that, that is like his man cave. You know, I don't know. Maybe it was a place where he just hung out to be alone with his own thoughts. Nobody saw him there. Jesus said, I saw you. And he's like, whoa. How did, how did that happen? He said, you really are the king of it. You really are the Messiah. He said, I saw you there. But then Jesus now speaks about seeing his future. He goes, oh, that's no big deal, man. <laughs> if you're excited about me seeing you under a fig tree, you're going to see a whole lot more than that. He said, you know what's going to happen? You're going to see heaven open up and the and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He said, what does that mean? Well, maybe. Now, we don't know this, but Maybe. Maybe while he was sitting under the fig tree, Nathaniel was reading Genesis 28 that talks about Jacob's ladder, this ladder that Jacob saw between heaven and earth and, and heaven opening up and God coming down. And maybe Jesus was saying, you know what, you were reading about that and you were thinking about what does that mean? You're going to see it. I'm the ladder, Nathaniel. I am the one who comes from heaven to earth. You're going to see it with your own eyes. He was calling out his future. 
You see, many times we, we think we know what success for our life looks like when Jesus has a much better plan than we even have for ourselves, and we can miss it. John Pemberton, after the Civil War, had an injury, a chronic injury, where it caused him to become somewhat addicted to morphine. And um, so he worked as a chemist, he was a pharmacist, he worked on a serum to help him overcome this addiction to morphine. He went through several iterations and recipes, but finally kind of landed on one that he thought was right. And he, he started to sell this serum in Jacob's Pharmacy in Atlanta. This was in the late 1880s, okay? In the first year, I think they only sold 25 bottles of this serum. However, today, uh, 1.9 billion bottles are sold daily around the world. Right? In fact, chances are good you probably had some of uh, Pemberton's uh, serum even this morning. Anybody care to guess what that serum is? Yeah, let's go ahead and show it. Right there, Coca-Cola, all right? There you go. That's why you're so addicted to this stuff, all right? Anyway, and uh, yeah, that's Pemberton's uh, recipe right there. And, and, and what's amazing is that people had no idea, even Pemberton himself had no idea what he had. In fact, one source said this, uh, Pemberton um, never realized the potential of the beverage that he created. He created it, but he didn't really know what he had. Here's the deal. God created you, and he knows what he has. He knows exactly how he made you, how he crafted you, what he could do with your life if you would yet just allow him to lead it and to follow him. Just think what he could do with you. What he did with Peter, Peter becomes the rock of the church. Peter takes the gospel all the way to Rome. What happened to Nathaniel? Nathaniel ended up taking the gospel down to India and then later on, Dying as a martyr, you know, in, in Eastern Europe. But man, he lived a life that mattered. There are, there, are, there are thousands and thousands of people in India now that have the gospel because of his influence. Just think what God could do with your one life if you would envision a future of Jesus leading your life. So come and see. Come and explore the facts. Come and see. Come and encounter a person. Open up your heart to Jesus. Come and see. Come envision your purpose. And then here's the last one. Come and see means come and experience a community. Come experience a community. This, these guys, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, John, these are really the starting five. You're at it like a basketball team. These were the starting five. These are the first followers of Jesus that began the Christian movement. And they really were the first of a new community of faith wrapped around Jesus as the Christ. Now that community of faith would grow, would grow very rapidly. But these were the first believers, the first gathering of followers of Jesus. Um, Listen, when you give your life to Christ, you become a part of a new community of faith. That's what it means to be a part of a church, all right? It's not just you go and, and sit in and listen to a sermon or take in a service. It means you're part of a family. You belong here. Faith in Jesus is not just about believing. It's also very much about belonging. Think about that bride again. She went to this party. She met this guy. You know, they, they began to date. She opens up her heart to him. Finally, she ends up standing before me, 
and her groom right there exchanging vows. Everyone's elated, everyone's celebrating, but now she's stepping into a whole new family. She's got in-laws now and they've got cousins and aunts and uncles and a whole new family that she's now a part of. That's what happens when you give your life to Christ. You become a part of God's family, his eternal faith family that you see and experience in a local church. And by the way, that's why we take communion. In fact, once you get your little communion packet out here, we're going to take it in just a minute. But communion, what is communion about? Communion is really about reminding ourselves why we're in the family to begin with. When you take communion, what you are saying is, God, I am right with you because of what Jesus did for me. His body broken for me, his blood shed for me, makes me right with you, God. And when you take communion, you're saying, God, I know that I'm right with you. But it also means that you're a part of a family. And so when you take communion, what you're saying is, God, to the best of my knowledge, I'm not at odds with anybody in the family. I'm right with my brothers and my sisters. There's no unresolved conflict that needs to happen. And if even today you're starting to take communion and the Spirit of God reminds you that there's some issue that you need to work out, you go to your brother, you go to your sister, you make it right. Because taking communion means it's a statement of unity that we do together as a body. Also, when you take communion, what you're saying is, God, I'm right with you. God, I'm right with my brothers and sisters. And God, to the best of our ability, we as a church family are centered on you, Jesus. What you have done for us. The gospel is center to our life. And we share it in common no matter where we come from, where we are. Many of you come from all different walks of life, all different stories, but we're all one because of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture communion is. And it's all about coming and seeing. Listen, the first invitation of Jesus is for you to come and see. Come and see. Jesus never pushes you. He never guilts you. He invites you to come and see what he's about. Come and explore the facts Find out who he really is. Come and, and, uh, and, and encounter him. Open up your heart and life to him. Come and envision your purpose. If Jesus were really to lead your life, come and see what that's like. Come and experience a community of faith. We're not perfect, but Jesus is perfect. And we are wrapping our lives around him. And so that's what come and see really means. I want you to just bow your heads with me for just a minute. We're gonna take communion here just shortly. But you may be here today and you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've been coming and seeing for some time. Maybe you've heard the gospel many, many times. You've been exploring the facts. You've been doing your Bible study. You've been asking God to reveal himself to you. You can even see lives changed by Jesus. You've been a part of this church family, but you've never crossed a line of faith. Isn't it time that you got serious about your relationship with Jesus? Isn't it time you don't waste one more day apart from him? Wouldn't you like to know for sure that you're right, you're clean, you're forgiven right now? You can, just with your heads bowed. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer of asking God to forgive us and to cleanse us. And listen, if today you say, Pastor, that's what I want. I want to know for sure that I'm right with God. I don't want to keep exploring. I don't want to keep 
uh, researching. I want to I want to cross that line. I want to give my life to Christ. Then I will give you an opportunity to do that. With your heads bowed, if you're here today, you said that's what I want today. Just lift up your hand right now. I'm not going to call you out, but I'll see your hand and I'll lead you in a prayer. Okay, thank you. Lift up your hand. Thank you. Lift up your hand. Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to nail this down once and for all. I want to know for sure that when I walk out of here, I'm right with God. Lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. You can put your hands down now. Just right where you are, just pray this simple prayer. God knows your heart. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way and I know I've lost my way. But Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the grave. And so right now I'm turning from my sin. I'm repenting of my waywardness and I'm turning, Jesus, to you. Please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Thank you for loving me. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, he, he took the bread. If you'll take that bread out of that cup. And he said, this bread represents my body. Just as this bread will be broken my body will be broken for you. I am the Lamb of God. And just like that priest will put his hands on the Lamb and all the sins of the people would be on that Lamb and it would suffer in their place. In the same way, all the sins of the world are going to be placed on me and I'm going to take away your sin. So when you eat this bread, remember the price that I paid for you. Let's take it together. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood that is shed on the cross. And just like the blood of that sacrificial lamb washes away your sin, my blood washes away your sin, makes you clean, makes you pure. Isaiah said, come, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though they're as crimson, they can be as wool. You You might think, man, there's no way that God could forgive me. Yes, he can because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we take this, we're reminded of the cleansing, renewing sacrifice of Jesus that gives us hope for eternity. Let's drink it together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you so much that you invite us even now to come and see, come and see, come and see. Lord, thank you that we were lost and that we're found, that your grace reached us right where we were and you invite us to know you even more. Lord, we worship you now and we pray this in Jesus' name.